Well, it is good, isn't it? I hope your heart is as full as mine as we were singing earlier about Jesus overcoming. Isn't that a powerful message this morning that Jesus Christ has overcome? I don't know if you realize this, but on more than one occasion in God's Word, we find that word overcome. Oftentimes it's used in reference to Jesus Christ that what he did at the cross, he overcame death, hell, and the grave for us. And because we are in Christ, because we have trusted him, we have placed our faith in him, the Bible says we too are overcomers. Have you ever thought about that? You are an overcomer this morning if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I tell people this all the time. Whether you feel like you're on the winning team or not, you are if you're a believer. Jesus won the victory at the cross. Amen? He overcame death, hell, and the grave. Satan is a defeated foe. And we need to realize that. We need to understand that Satan has no rule over our lives except what we permit Satan to have over our lives. That's the reason John says in 1 John, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Did you know that the very spirit of the living God lives in you? Did you know that this morning? The same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the grave indwells each and every one of us. Isn't that great news this morning? So we don't have to live a defeated life today. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are an overcomer, you are a conqueror, you are a victor in Jesus Christ this morning. You can claim that promise in God's Word today if you know Jesus Christ. Now listen, it doesn't even really matter how you feel. There are some days we feel defeated, don't we? Sure we do. But I will tell you, even when you feel that way, it doesn't change the fact that you indeed are an overcomer in Christ Jesus the Lord. I don't know about you, but that brings great joy to my heart this morning when I realize the fact that I am an overcomer. And it is by the word of our testimony, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have overcome with Jesus death, hell, and the grave. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, Where, O death, is your sting? There is no sting in death for those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's simply a stage that we move through in this world as we prepare to step in to eternity, and we have no reason to fear at all. All right, 1 John, the 5th chapter, 1 John, the fifth chapter, you'll want to find your place there. Now, don't forget, next Sunday morning, it's going to be a special worship, show, a worship service, as uh, we talked about earlier. Next Sunday morning, I'm going to be preaching a salvation message about Vacation Bible School, what the children have learned in Vacation Bible School. I'm going to be laying that to bear in next Sunday morning's worship service. So please be in prayer for me, but I want you to know where we're headed so you can begin to think about the new church year. You know, we're getting ready to go back to school. I know many of the kids are. I know they're excited and happy about that, as I was when I was a kid growing up. They're looking forward, anticipating uh, that first day of school. Amen, children. Amen, youth. I didn't hear anything well, so maybe they're not in agreement with me today. But as we look to the new church here, we are going to start a series of sermons in the Gospel of John. 
Now, hang on with me. We are going to preach through the entire Gospel of John in the new year. Now, it may go longer than a new year, and there will be times that we will take a vacation from that passage, but you know what I'm convinced of? Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. That is what John announced about Jesus Christ when he saw him. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Praise the Lord. At the cross, Jesus Christ paid in full our sin debt. So we're going to get to know Jesus a little bit better. Isn't that what it's all about, huh? And hopefully through that, there will be some people who will come to meet Jesus the first time. And for others, I just hope it will help us to grow in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ as we approach that gospel. Now, you do know this. There is only one gospel. You know that, right? You know? There is. There's not four different gospels, even though we call them the four different gospels. There's only one gospel message, and the gospel message is this, that Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven. He came here to earth. He lived a perfect life. He willingly went to a cool cross. He hung there. He died. On the third day, he rose from the grave for the forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel message, and the Word of God teaches us whoever is willing to call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the truth of the gospel message today. And it is for everyone. All right, First John, the fifth chapter. First John, if you remember on Sunday mornings, we have been in the book of First John. We have been looking at spiritual birthmarks of a believer. We've talked about several of them. Let me share with you, let me review quickly what we've learned here from the book of John concerning the spiritual birthmarks of a believer. We've learned there are at least, to this point, we've learned three different spiritual birthmarks that identify a genuine believer. The first spiritual birthmark is this. Believers have a no-so salvation. John wrote in 1 John, the 5th chapter and the 13th verse, I have written these things that you may know. The word know there means confidence, assurance that you are a child of the living God. You can know today that you belong to Jesus Christ. And he's given us two testimonies as a witness to the fact that we belong to Jesus Christ. The word of God in the Holy Spirit who is in us. The second birthmark we looked at was this. Believers love God and God's people, the church. I want you to listen to what John says in 1 John, the fifth chapter and the first verse. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Did you hear what he said there? If you've been born of God, the natural result of that will be what? You will love those who have been born of God. So it's impossible, it is utterly impossible for you to say or for me to say, I have a great, deep, passionate love for God and not love God's people, the church. Don't add up. What did he say there? If you're born of God, you will love those who are also born of God. That's the church. We're not talking about a building. I know sometimes we think of church in terms of walls and roofs and buildings and materials. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The result of loving God, knowing God, being born of God is you will naturally love God's people, the church. Now, 
That doesn't mean that there won't be trying people in the church. You know the ones I'm talking about, those special people that we all know. They know how to push all of the right buttons. Don't look at me like you're confused this morning. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You do. They're all there. But in Christ, we can love anyone. That's the point, if we've been born of God. Number two, I mean, I'm sorry, number three, believers don't practice sin, they practice righteousness. They don't practice sin, they practice righteousness. That is the third birthmark of a believer. Listen to what he says here in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 3 of 1 John. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Now remember that word practice means the direction of your life. The question you must ask yourself this morning is this, am I running toward sin or am I running toward Jesus Christ? That's a good indicator of whether you truly know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. No one makes a practice practice of sin for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God it doesn't mean that we're perfect what he is talking about what is the bent of your life it's like that old country preacher I told you about last Sunday morning he said when I got saved God changed my wanter and he said now I don't want to sin no more You see, and that ought to be in the life of every believer. If you can look at me this morning and you can claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you can say to me, I don't care how I live. What's most important is I know Jesus Christ. I'm telling you today there's a problem in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I would even question whether you know Jesus Christ if there's no concern in your heart and in your life about the sin in your life. We should desire not to sin against God after we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now listen to what he says here. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now number 10, verse 10, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love God. His brother is the direction of your life toward righteousness, right living, right standing with God. God has given us help in that area. He's given us a new desire. He's given us a new nature, and he has given us a new power. He has given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a power. It is a person, but when the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in our life, he gives us the power to make the right choice in life if we're willing to yield our life unto him. Do you see what I'm saying? All right, so that brings us to number four this morning, the last one in this series of sermons. Now, I know y'all probably been sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for this one. Well, here it is, all right? Believers are overcomers. Believers are overcomers. Listen to what John says in 1 John, the fifth chapter, verses 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Three different times in these two verses, John makes the same statement. He says, we have overcome the world. 
Now, he says it in different ways, but basically he's just repeating the same meaning in different words. Listen to what he says in verse 4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And then he says it this way in the, in the next line, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, the key to overcoming the world is faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So the key to living out victory in our life is faith. It was like I was telling them this morning in our early worship service, a person's faith is only as good as the object that it is placed in. Isn't that true? Sure it is. If I have faith and I put my faith in this chair, now the object of my faith is only as good as that chair is. If I sit on that chair and it holds me up, I hope it does, it did, it held me up this morning as well, then I would say the object of my faith is very good, right? Well, the same is true in the spiritual sense. Our faith is only as good as who or whatever we are putting it in. Now listen to me carefully this morning. This is very important. Every single person has faith. Every single person is trusting in someone or something. The atheist simply is trusting in himself. When he says, I don't believe in a God, what he is saying is this, I believe in myself. I'm trusting in me to take care of all of life's problems. The problem is, is the object of his faith is shaky. The object, our faith is only as strong as the object in which it is. For us, our faith is in Jesus Christ. Now, this is so important for us to understand today. We are overcomers not because of any single thing we have ever done in life. Listen to me. We are overcomers not because of anything I've ever done or anything you have ever done. We are overcomers because of who Jesus Christ is and what He did. We are overcomers because we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ and He overcame death, hell, and the grave when He hung and He died on the cross and He rose from the grave. Amen? That's the reason why we are overcomers in this life. But it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do. We need to remind ourselves constantly of the fact it is Jesus Christ who does the saving and it is Jesus Christ who does the keeping. Our salvation is not based upon who we are and what we do. Our salvation is based in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what God has done in our life. So our faith is only as good as the object that it is placed in. Now you want to know what true biblical faith is? True biblical faith is trusting in the promises of God. But don't stop there. It is trusting in the promises of God and acting on them, acting on those promises. For instance, when it says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved, 
I believe that is true. It says in the Bible, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In faith, I act upon that. Believing and trusting that what God has said in his word is true. And as a result of that, I have a confidence within me that all is well in this world. Not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus Christ is and what he did. My faith in Je- is in Jesus Christ. The unique thing about this passage of scripture is the word believe here. Really, a good rendering of that word is the word trust, and the word trust means to throw all of the weight of your life onto something. When we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are saying we are throwing all of our life upon Him. We are believing in our hearts that there is nothing in me that is good. There is nothing that gives me the ability to save myself. The only thing I can do is cry out to mercy. I mean, cry out to God and ask for His mercy mercy, and hopefully in His grace, He will save me from my sin. John said in this passage of Scripture, we are overcomers. We have overcome the world. Now, what does John mean when he uses that word world? Do you think John's referring to the created world? No. That's not what he's referring to here. Do you think he's referring to the world of humanity? No. That's not what he's referring to. When John uses this word world, he is referring to a system, a mindset, a philosophy that stands directly opposed to God. He's talking about the way the world things. Worldliness is not so much an activity as it is an attitude. Oftentimes we equate worldliness with what people do. The Bible equates worldliness to what people think. Do you see the difference? Now don't misunderstand and oftentimes what we think determines how we will live in our actions, doesn't it? But worldliness is not as much an activity as it is an attitude. This morning, I want to talk to you a few moments about the practice of being an overcomer. Turn your Bibles over to 2 John, the 15th, I mean 2 John, and we're going to be reading verses 15 through 17. What is the practice of an overcomer? John is going to say three things about being an overcomer in this passage. I want you to listen to me at what he says here. Listen to verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we see something very clear right here in this opening verse. John says the first thing about an overcomer is this. An overcomer is a person who loves the Father. He does not love the world. Now, isn't that what Jesus Christ said? Jesus Christ said you can't serve two masters. You will love the one, you will hate the other. You can't serve both God and mammon, is what Jesus Christ said. Now, Jesus Christ wasn't necessarily talking about money as much as he was an attitude. 
He was talking about worldliness, the way that we think. And what he's saying here in this passage of Scripture, the person who is an overcomer is the person who loves Jesus Christ with all their heart, mind, soul, and body, and they do not love the attitude of the world. That will not be the practice of their life. You remember what that word practice means? It refers to the direction of your life, the bent of your life. So let me ask you a question this morning. What is the bent of your life? When you look at your life, when you examine your life, what characterizes your life? Is it an attitude of the world, materialism, greed, selfishness, or is it the attitude of God in you, the love of God? John very clearly says in this passage, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Who will lead our lives? Who will direct our steps? I will tell you, when I studied this passage of Scripture, this is one of those convicting passages of Scripture. It gives us an opportunity for each one of us to examine our own hearts and our own lives. Am I truly an overcomer of the world? Is that the practice of my life? Is the bent of my life a deep, passionate, reckless love for Jesus Christ? Now, I'll say something to you this morning. If you want to know if you have a true love for Jesus Christ, you give yourself the 4T test. That's just something I made up. It's not like it's anything that I found in a book. But here it is. Time, thoughts, treasure, talk. Time, thoughts, treasure, talk. What do you spend most of your time talking about? What do you spend most of your time thinking about? What do you spend, or where is all your treasures being stored up at? Do you see what I'm saying? Where do you spend all of your time? If you, answer the, if you provide the answer to that question, it will tell you where your love is at. You see, I'm convinced of one thing, folks. The actions of our lives speak far louder than the words of our mouth. And as we examine the actions of our life, the actions of our lives say very much about what we believe about who God is and how much we love Him in life. Now go back to this passage of Scripture. I want you to hear what else he says. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now, we need to stop right there because I think John is trying to say something to us very important with those three clear statements, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eye and the pride of life. And I think this is what John is saying. He's saying an overcomer, listens to the new nature, not the old nature. The overcomer is the person who listens to the new nature. John said the desires of the flesh are not of God. The desires of the flesh refer to our old sinful nature that is still in us. However, when we became followers of Jesus Christ, we became partakers of a new nature. 
there's only one problem. This is the problem. The old sinful nature still exists. And that old nature wars against the new nature. And it is a daily battle that we all fight. It is a battle for the control of our human desires. Now I want you to understand something this morning. Human desires are not evil. God has created us with certain desires. Hunger, thirst, weariness, and sex are not evil in and of themselves. There is nothing wrong with eating, drinking, sleeping, and producing children. All those things are natural desires given to us by God. However, when our old sinful nature controls them, they become sinful lust. Eating is not evil, but gluttony is a sin. Sleep is a gift of God, but laziness is shameful. Sex is a precious gift given to us in the context of marriage, but outside of marriage it is immorality. That is the truth of God's Word. Do you see what I'm saying? John said, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, is not from the Father, but is the mindset of the world. Now this is the point that John is making. As overcomers, we no longer live to fulfill our sinful desires. Now we live to please the Lord God. We listen to a new nature is what we do. Now that raises a very important question this morning. A question I want you to think about. Is it possible to please God in everything? As a believer. Now surely we can't please God in sin. Now, we just put that off to the side, all right? But it is, is it possible for us to live in such a way that we please God in everything we do as believers? Well, the Bible says it is. In 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, in the 31st verse, Paul said, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. I can tell you when we live for the moment of pleasure to gratify our old sinful nature, we are not bringing glory to God, and that is not pleasing. Those who have overcome the world are those who listen to the new nature. They glorify God by the decisions and the choices they make in their daily lives. So we need to understand overcomers listen to the new nature and not the old nature. Number two, overcomers are contented, not dissatisfied. John said, for all that is in the world, the desires of the eyes is not from God. That phrase, the desires of the eyes, point for a de uh, to sinful desires of greed and materialism. Desire to want to have that which you do not have. If there is any word I was going to use this morning to describe American society, it would be this. Materialism. The desire to have more at all cost. Now get this, listen to me carefully, Christian. Even at the expense of our relationship with the Lord. It does. 
is what drives America. It is what motivates America. I want more, 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 more. And the question we must ask ourselves this morning is this, how much is enough? How much is enough? Can I remind you of something very important? As followers of Jesus Christ, all that we are and all that we have belong to Him. None of it is ours. We're going to leave this world with the same thing we entered this world, and that is absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. Isn't that true? But we work our entire lives building a kingdom here on earth when we are to be storing up our treasures in heaven. Where are you storing your treasures at today? In that which is temporal, that which is just here that's passing away, or are you storing up your treasures in the eternal? Where are you storing your treasures at today? Jesus spoke about that. We need to realize overcomers are contented, not dissatisfied. Number three, Overcomers display humility rather than pride. Listen to what he says here as he closes this verse. For all this is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. Now, if the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes refer to the desire to have what you do not have, then the pride of life refers to the sinful pride over what you do have. It is the desire to be better than others so that you can glory in yourself and your accomplishments. I'm probably not going to make a lot of friends this morning when I I say this. You know, I was thinking about this statement this morning and what we see in sports today. You know, when I was a boy growing up, I grew up playing sports. And sports was talking about or was teaching us as young people character. It was about teaching about how to win the right way. It was teaching about how to be a person of integrity and relationships. But when I look at the society in which we live in today, that is the furthest thing from the truth. Sports is about glorifying in self. It's about the accomplishments that I make. I don't want you to misunderstand me. There is nothing wrong with doing your best in school, athletics, or at work in order to be a good steward of the gifts that God has given you and to bring glory to His name. There's nothing wrong with that. We are to do everything to His glory and to His honor. Isn't that true? But it's easy to forget as followers of Jesus Christ that all that we have and all that we are comes from Him. You do realize there is no such animal as a self-made millionaire. You know that, right? You know why that is? Because a person doesn't even have the ability to draw their next breath if God doesn't give it to them. Do you see that? It's the truth. There was a man in the Old Testament who forgot that truth. How many of you remember the story of King Nebuchadnezzar? I want you to listen to what it says in God's Word about him. This is what Nebuchadnezzar said. He said, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the mighty hand of my power and for the glory of my majesty? 
I want you to hear God's response to that. God immediately drove him out into the fields to live as a wild beast until his heart was humbled. And for seven years, he lived among them. Seven years. The pride of life. Now listen to me carefully. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life have been the strategy of the enemy since the beginning of time. Listen to what it says in Genesis, the third chapter, as I close. When Eve saw that the tree was good for food, desires of the flesh, and that it was a delight to the eyes, the desires of the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, pride of life, she took of his fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was there, and he ate. And I will tell you since that day, that has been all of mankind's struggle, the pride of life, the the desire of the eyes, and the desires of the flesh. That is who we are apart from Jesus Christ. But listen to me carefully. But in Christ Jesus, we are more than conquerors. We have overcome the world. Not because of anything we've done, but because of who Jesus Christ is and what He has done on our behalf. And the question we must ask ourselves today is this, have I overcome this world? The only way you can answer that question with assurance is in this way. I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. We have overcome because Jesus Christ defeated death, hell, and the grave at the cross and through His resurrection. Amen. We indeed are conquerors, overcomers. This morning I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. We're going to have a time of invitation. It's going to be an opportunity for us to respond to the Lord in whatever way we need to respond today. Perhaps you need to respond in faith. You realize as you've, as you've examined your life, you don't really know Jesus Christ. Those spiritual birthmarks are not there, and what you need to do more than anything else is come into a relationship with Him. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus Christ, I would love to share with you about how you can have a relationship with Him. If you're here this morning, you need to become a part of this body of believers. I encourage you to do that. If you're here and you need to become, uh, just come here and kneel at this altar and pray, it's open. If I can be your pastor somehow, please let me know. Father God, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for your word and the truth of your word. You tell us that your word is powerful and living and is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, Father God, I pray that you would work in our hearts and our lives through your word this morning, bringing about conviction where we need to have conviction. There's people here this morning who don't know you as their Lord and Savior. I pray today would be the day that they would humble themselves before you. They would acknowledge apart from you they are utterly hopeless and helpless. And they would turn to Jesus Christ in faith, believing that he paid the penalty for their sins at the cross. Lord, you have your way in this invitation, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.